realize how incredible this is? Welcome to DS9. It's a podcast. <laughs> Alrighty then. It's episode three. Hello. How are Greetings. you? I'm great. How are you? I am fine. Welcome Good. to DS9, the podcast, with mm-hmm. Joe and Thomas, live on multiple podcast sites through the mm-hmm. magic of the internet that I mm-hmm. do not want to know how it works. It's dark magic. It's dark Bajoran magic. Um, let's see. It feels like a long time, but uh, we're back with episode three of episode three which uh, i re-watched because i i watched it before by mistake mm-hmm. and um uh yeah well, let's see i have a um special question that is before the episode okay and it has to do with the thing i saw on youtube young people discussing on youtube and the question is is star trek racist <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Okay. We're starting <laughs> over the bang this week. Just uh, throw me a couple softballs before you throw me a, no. a, goog- a googly. We head straight in to the hot, <laughs> hot button topics, such as is Star Trek inherently racist? Right, right. Well, you know, it's kind of like asking is America racist? Is society or humanity racist? And. Um, <laughs> Uh, my opinion is uh, that the very easy answer to all those questions, which is yes, of course, absolutely. Oh, <laughs> uh, Star Trek has the benefit of, you know, trying not to be racist, trying to be progressive, trying to, you know, ask tough questions with the uh, with the nature of its stories and its content and, you know, addressing the sort of pressing racially connected issues of the day. Um, but yeah, it's a product of our society, which, you know, has issues with racism. So yeah, it's definitely got racism in its DNA, uh, for sure. Oh. But it, it strives to be better and to self-improve just like all of us, I think. Yeah. I'm afraid the correct answer is we at DS9 podcast condemn all racism <laughs> and in no shape. I can see no that you're way. reading that from a piece of paper. <laughs> And I find it quite disingenuous. <laughs> well, I was watching YouTube and I saw some mm-hmm. like hot argument about Lord of the Rings where, um, you know, I guess the guy who made Lord of the Rings is pretty old and rich and British. And so the different, hmm. uh, you know, the elves are the good guys and the people are the, bad, the good guys. And then the orcs are the bad guys. And if 100% of a race in a book, wait, wait. If 100% of the orcs are bad, isn't that racist? <laughs> isn't that the definition of racism? <laughs> right, right. I know, tough question. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it, it is, for sure. It's the definition because they're a different race of animal, you know. Whoa, species, whoa. I you mean uh, but, human, you know, humanoid. I, they're humanoids, yeah. <laughs> We're talking about Lord of the Rings now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I've, you know, got uh, complicated feelings about the orcs, for sure. Um, you know, I... I didn't read all the books. I read most of one, but I was very into all of the Lord of the Rings movies, and I did feel bad for the orcs. They're obviously sentient. They speak beautiful English and, uh, you know, say intelligent things to each other. Um, but, yeah, we're just pleased to see them, you know, slaughtered like animals because 
they just have an inherent uh, evil uh, about them, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's tricky. Uh, and does Star Trek have that to some degree with um, some of its different humanoid um, species that are on the shows? I think yes. Um, you know, the Klingons for a long time were just, you know, patently evil until Worf came along and he was like, oh, well, he's one of the good ones because he joined <laughs> up with the Federation yeah. and hangs out with the humans. So he's he's one of the ones we like. Yeah. Um, yeah. And these are tough questions, Joe. These are real, I, my, my seat's feeling hot. On the hot seat yep. here. Oh, you're in the hot seat. Yep. <laughs> uh, well, this episode the does. The answer is yes. It does have to deal with uh, some bits of a uh, race in this particular episode. Another, another uh, break. Breaking news that uh, when pondering Deep Space Nine and uh, the universe and my life, I came up. I came to this realization about why this show is. Uh, not widely, but often said to be the best Star Trek series of them all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was complaining how, like, you know, episode one, these guys are a bunch of losers. Nobody wants to be there. Uh, <laughs> you know, they all got dumped here. They're all non-characters. So who cares mm-hmm. about this? And uh, I realized, oh, wait, what other show has this similar formula of um, misfit characters who come together and and you know face adversity together and that show is the wire oh okay the wire what if ds9 is the wire of star trek the wire of star trek sure yeah well the wire is you know universally beloved i think by anybody who watches it uh, I've only seen some of it. I watched the pilot you know, what? years ago. What? Oh, my For some reason, God. it didn't hook me, and I didn't keep watching, but I know that it's the out there, and someday I will devour it uh, greedily and enjoy it all for sure. Okay, but you're, you're seeing some uh, common, some genetic commonality between the two shows. That's cool. I was thinking yeah. you were going to, like, Peanuts, like the Peanuts, like Charlie Brown. Like um, Snoopy? <laughs> yeah. You know, a collection of sort of, like, misfits, outcasts, and dirty people. Um... <laughs> But yeah, okay, I'm into that. Yeah, people love The Wire. Do you like The Wire? You've watched a lot of it? It is, uh, could be the greatest work of TV wow. ever made. Wow. <laughs> um, where, cool. yeah, they in the beginning, they don't like each other, and they don't know what they're mm-hmm. doing, and they know this is all screwed up, and they were, all were dumped in the same department, but then they they kind of scam their way into more resources and, and tricking um, the bosses or tricking mm-hmm. the supervisors into giving them more and legitimizing their their squad um so this one you got cisco who's a ptsd sufferer who just wants mm-hmm. to quit on his first day like uh, you know it's reasonable to think he was dumped there for being uh you know a troublemaker wherever he came from <laughs> i said let's mm-hmm. just put him there you know yeah well yeah you'll be captain someday <laughs> yeah, whatever yeah <laughs> then you got <laughs> O'Brien, which is a chief, and like, chief seems just a strange title to have on a on a spaceship. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, right. And also, he works the transporter, which which seems like the transporters can be operated pretty much anywhere in the ship. Like, do we need a guy in the transporter room? Right. I know. Good point. Yeah. Plus, it's like it seems like anybody can operate a transporter. Like, a lot of yeah. times in these shows, the captain will like shove the chief transporter officer to the side and be like no let me take it if he's like i'm losing the signal and the picard or whomever will jump in and like body check 
the engineer out of the way and take over the controls himself and like bring the person back yeah um yeah do you need to be standing there you know in front of the transporter can it be and can't they why can't they teleport from anywhere in the ship um you know i think they do sometimes when it's convenient but you don't even need the transporter or you don't even yeah. need those uh, transporter pads. Like you don't. Stand, why do you have to stand on those? You're right. That never occurred to me. You absolutely don't. They only like use that room when they need to have like a farewell or a greeting scene, like when there's new people coming aboard or or departing. Oh. Like, well, we have to have this scene in the transporter room, uh, even though they could just you know have them beamed off the ships from their quarters. Um, then you got Odo, who's come on. He's just a you know he's a pretty weird dude. <laughs> he is very strange. The only he's he's the definition of other he's just the only version of his species that anyone has ever met i guess so yeah that's sort of like the crux of the this particular episode is uh yeah something goes down and a crime was committed and they think odo might have done it and like everybody on the base uh, space station turns against odo uh because he's a shapeshifter and they start mm. calling him these horrible, you know, slurs. Shifter! There's the shifter! Get the yeah. shifter! <laughs> yeah. Um, which was kind of disturbing, especially that scene where there was, like, a mob. Uh, yeah. Like a, a mob happening on the promenade. Then you um, got uh, Kira, who's an uppity Bajoran woman who, mm-hmm. you know, just, of course, wherever she, she could have been put on the on the, on the Deep Space Nine from her bosses, like, just get her the hell out of here. Right. Oh, you know, my God. <laughs> Um, and then you got uh, then you got Dax. So she should be good, right? Well, she's the good one. When actually mm-hmm. she's a freaking dinosaur. She's like nine hundred years old. She's so. like nine hundred years old, and she's <laughs> you know she's very complicated. She's trans, basically. The big trans. Oh, that's true. Oh yeah, I really forgot about that. And I don't think it was deliberately there, but I mean, uh, watching it today, it's definitely there because there's a whole storyline about. You know, two of the characters, one who's the former best friend of the of Dax's former male self, and the other one is the, the younger man who's, you know, attracted to the current female iteration of Dax, and they have a conversation about her together, which I thought was very interesting. And it was all about the two of them sort of negotiating uh, sort of how to deal with uh, her change, or at least for uh, Cisco, him trying to figure out how to, you know, um, deal with her having changed into a woman, basically. Um, yeah. which, you know, that's, I don't, tr- trans issues were not talked about back in the nineties, uh, not in any kind of sensitive way anyway. Mm. Um, and I don't think they meant to make this a direct allegory to transhood, but, uh, it's definitely there from my perspective mm-hmm. and it was pretty sensitively done. I thought, and it's really good. There was one particular line, which I thought was great. Um, let me see if I can find my note about it. Um, where I think, yeah, it was Cisco and Dax were talking together. And, um, yeah, she says, do you miss, you know, the man that I used to be? And he says, you know, I do. And, you know, I'm not entirely comfortable with it. Um, but, uh, you know, I'll get over it. And she says, oh, you know. Oh, wow. And she says, well, the best you can do is to allow yourself to feel comfortable with the discomfort. And time will do the rest. Which I thought was Whoa. a brilliant line. And just sort of I... a wonderful, you know, two-sentence lesson for anybody who is having, uh, you know... A complicated time with um, somebody transitioning in their life, I suppose. Um, but I really like that line a lot. Well, call me uh, stuck in the '90s because when I heard that line, I was like, "What the hell does that even mean?" <laughs> <laughs> that flew right over my head. I was yeah. like, wait, "Wait, what is it again?" She says, "She says the line what?" Is, uh, 
Right. Well, I think I should play the scene because I actually have. Oh, you got up, it. So is it okay if okay. I go ahead and play it? Yeah, yes. So I think I already set it up well enough. It's these former best friends. One of them has turned into a woman, and the other one's trying to figure out how to deal with that. Um, yep. Here we go. Esteemed Asna would put years on your life. Dax, I don't want years on my life if I can only eat steamed Asna. Sautéed, rolloped, fricasseed, fine, but not steamed. <laughs> I've missed your steamed Asna. Okay, wait, I'm sorry. I have to pause it and scroll it back just a second because... The way he says that line, I've missed your <laughs> steamed Aza, I yeah, found it to be kind of disturbing. I know, this I heard that aside too. Aside from the whole Steamy point that we were Ozna. trying to make issues, but the way he's like staring at her kind of thirstily while he says I'm, it, but not I found steamed. to be a little bit <laughs> off. I've missed your steamed Aza. Oh, I'm sure you have. Here's the poignant part. You must miss Curzon, too. That's her former self. He was... You were... Are... A mentor? Another father to me? This happens to Trills, Benjamin. Sometimes our friendships with other species don't survive because of the change. Mm -hmm. It won't be that way with us. It's just uh, a little uncomfortable right now. I suggest that you allow yourself to feel comfortable with your discomfort. Time can do the rest. I love it. Um, yeah. I found, found that to be a very kind of sort of warming lesson in, you know, personal growth and getting comfortable with the trans issues. Um, yeah. Allow time to do the rest. And that it's okay to feel uncomfortable. It's normal. Just, yeah. you know... Be okay with it and allow it to pass organically. Anyway, I like that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I heard that and I I had to puzzle out, like, what does she mean? Um, right. But yeah, you explained it. Um, yeah. Now, the steamed Asna, however, is a side <laughs> issue because he was yeah. looking hungry for some steamed Asna just yeah. then. And it I is... don't know what it is about that phrase that sounds so sensual, but it really does. Yeah, that is a... I tried to even formulate a question saying, like... If you had a really good best friend, and actually this case is even more like uh, colored because it's he says that Curzon was like a father father to me, so your best mm -hmm. friend slash father figure then changes to um, you know you uh, how would you make a move on <laughs> make a move on, on your new your new old father friend <laughs> right right and is it okay to date your father if yeah. they're inside of a woman's body who's not biologically <laughs> yeah. related to you yeah and if she was that? really hot yeah. is it okay to date your dad if if he's in a woman's body <laughs> if your step step trans friend <laughs> i don't know <laughs> yeah and i think they're... in cisco's case i think the answer is yes he's yeah. not there yet but i think that you know there is a simmering sort of romantic tension that's uh, that does exist between these two old chums yeah and uh, and they work to be present throughout the show and she works for him so it's another <laughs> another uh and it's problematic because of that yes yes yeah. although it sounds like in their previous relationship you know he was the more senior kind of figure he was a father figure oh. and a mentor and much older and now he's older 
Right. Interesting stuff. Oh yeah, was was Curzon in in the Federation? Was he an officer? I don't even. I guess I, I don't assume. Know. I assume so. Uh, but we got to get moving here. We got to yes. <laughs> talk about stuff. Uh, let's see. Uh, one quote I have here that was right off the top was where Quark just straight up asks Odo, so you've never coupled? Right. It's like, Jesus, man. I know. That was very forward of him, I thought. <laughs> um, yeah. So they were like, yeah, it was Quark and Odo hanging out in the lounge area of the promenade looking at all the different couples. One was arguing. Another one was like, you know, looking very chummy. Um, and Odo just kind of opines, like, you know, I don't really have a need for coupling. Too much work. Yes, and Quark was like, you've never coupled, like almost hand gesturing in a lewd way. And Odo's like, no. Even though I think, you know, Odo probably is not a virgin. Um, <laughs> but from Quark's perspective, I think he was uh, thinking that he was saying that he was. Because um, the way Odo talked about, you know, all the negotiating and dealing with, you know, roommate issues and uh, all the things that come along with having a relationship seemed like he was uh, implying that he's been there before so that he has had relationships. But maybe not. I hope so. Because can you, can, can you imagine all the skills that a shapeshifter might bring to the table or boudoir as it might oh be? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I thought it was <laughs> ironic how... He uses the word compromise so much. He's like, oh, I want to watch this show. And she wants to watch right. this show. So you compromise. And then right. he's so, like, rigid and un- he is rigid. unbending. But he's literally, a you know, a, his natural state is a blob that has no, f- <laughs> no form. Right. So he's he, a very rigid man for someone who's made from liquid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like, man, loosen that's up. That's funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's I pretty grumpy. F- He's a pretty grumpy guy generally. Yeah. Uh, but it's good he has his own uh, episode. But I have a funny, this is a mm-hmm. more light, a light clip I have here, which again is that okay. Dax and Cisco. Dax, did I ever tell you about the meals my father used to cook for us when we were children? All the time. Every night in my house, my dad insisted that we have supper together as a family. He would try out his new recipes on us. He used to call us his test tasters. Right. Okay, so he says at the end, he used to call us his test tasters. Test tasters, right. And what's wrong with that phrase? <laughs> is there something wrong with that you know, phrase? Because <laughs> exactly, I think there is. That's exactly what I heard. When I just cannot, um, uh, I couldn't focus on what he's saying, and I'm pretty sure he's supposed to say <laughs> taste testers, not I'm, test tasters. I'm certain you are right. <laughs> that was definitely a hitching point for me watching. I was like, wait, did he just say taste testers? <laughs> yeah. Rather than, no, test tasters rather than taste testers? Yeah, the yeah. meaning, no. it's so funny. He, the, he got it backwards. He screwed it up. The meaning is the same. <laughs> if you think about it, test it tasters versus taste mm-hmm. testers, it's, it's, the meaning is completely <laughs> the same. The meaning is exactly the same. So lucky for him, he could screw up his line so badly. But, uh, you know, it's still, you know, an accurate thing. Maybe maybe it was scripted that way, but I, I doubt it. Because uh, a taste tester is a thing. That's a thing. Taste it's like tester. a job. Uh, it's something people do. It's a word we use all the time. Test taster is not so much. We don't say <laughs> yeah. that. Nobody says test taster, except for him. Plus, he, like, says it which with such slow and deliberate articulation <laughs> that it's surprising he didn't say it right. <laughs> he oh, called us a- his... Test tasters. That's exactly what I have. I wrote down test tasters. Doctor Evil. 
<laughs> he says it <laughs> that way. He's like, uh, what? No, no, Mr. Powers. I expect you to die. I expect you to die. <laughs> yeah. He is so strange still. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I welcome his strangeness. Yeah. With open arms. Um, let's see. So the next, now the next real um, quote, I think that's uh, will be a, a pillar of this episode is my next one, which says, O'Brien gets his balls busted. so here we go it's where o'brien and his wife there oh and also okay let me just say you know we're talking about women's issues talking about trans issues but let's Mm -hmm. just enter the mindset of o'brien where you know he's stuck here he's got problems with the female management above him and uh so (laughs) you can you can imagine he comes home from work and with his arms ro- sleeves rolled up, working in the engines, doing whatever he does, and he comes home to his wife, who's got nothing but complaining. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here we go. Look, I'm willing to ask for a transfer if that'll make you happy. That's not fair either. You'd have to give up your promotion. Not necessarily. I wish I knew the right thing to do. I'm just lost here. Starfleet doesn't need a botanist on this station. Keiko, there's a whole new quadrant on the other side of the wormhole, full of new plant life to explore. And ship's going to explore it, and I'm not on any of them. We'll be sending runabouts through the wormhole. I'll see to what you get to go. I don't need favors from you. I just need to be useful. Just think how much more attractive this place could be if you'd planted some trees and flowers in the promenade. You could even create an arboretum from the new specimens we bring back from the Gamma Quadrant. Now, there's actually two things in this clip that I wasn't sure how to handle them, but I'm gonna I'm gonna pause it here. Okay. So you know, I'm going again. I'm 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 not talking for myself. I'm speaking for O'Brien. Right. You know, I'm right. like, oh, I'm catching an earful. I got this wife. She, you know, she's breaking my balls here about she can't do anything. <laughs> but <laughs> in the middle of the speech. The camera shows she looks down at the, uh, you know, I guess that's the promenade. That's where people, humans gather. Mm-hmm. She sees Cisco's son, who's not doing anything. He's just like looking right. around, mm-hmm. being a normal citizen. And then mm-hmm. she says, Do you really want to raise your daughter in this place, Miles? Garrett to O'Brien. Hmm. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, okay. I think, a little I bit think more. I'm might know sort of why you're having a hesitation here what you, you tell me why did <laughs> she look that, down at him and then say that line i thought that was funny the second time i watched it you know she's she's uh first she starts out like i want a job i don't have anything to do mm-hmm. here they don't need a botanist i'm really smart but nobody needs me to do anything but then the camera shows she looks down and sees O'Brien's son who's um cisco you know, black Oh, Cisco's son is a black. Mm-hmm. I think he's like a teenager, but I guess he's younger. But <laughs> she looks. He's at definitely. Him like, he's at least fourteen or fifteen. He's tall. He's like six feet tall. Yeah. So you're thinking she looks like, over, she sees him down there, who's this African American teenager, and she's like, "Do you really want to raise our daughter in an environment like this? Like because <laughs> she'll be around this threatening presence." Uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought that was yeah, so strange. Yeah. I could see why you read it that way. I don't think that was the intent. I think that the intention was that she looks down, she sees a child, and remembers, oh, yeah, we have a child, too. We're going to have to raise her in this place, just like Cisco's having to raise his kid in this place. Um, 
but it could have been just a little sort of uh, clumsy writing, I think, to have her look down, see the kid, and be like, do you really want to raise your kid in an environment like this? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that is an awkward moment, yes. But I don't think that it was that was the intent, because that would be wildly racist <laughs> if <laughs> yeah. that was the actual today, motivation for the line. Yeah, 30 um, years later, we would say, do better, Star Trek. Do better. Come on. Be better. <laughs> yeah. Try. And then um, the icing on the cake, the icing on the cake of this video. Go ahead. We have a non-functional power transfer grid on level five. All the upper docking pylons are out of commission. On my way. So O'Brien just internally rolls his eyes while he's getting his balls busted by his wife. <laughs> <laughs> his boss, his boss calls him and she says, get your ass over here. Yep. And he's just like, oh, fuck my life. <laughs> <laughs> All these women yeah, nagging yeah. and pecking at him. Yes, no, no, no. <laughs> um. Yeah. Again, that's not me. I'm not saying it's. That's me. not you. That's We're not you, exploring but, uh, the characters yes. from their point of, of yeah. view. No, it's there. It's definitely there. It's an element for sure. Um, well, when I first uh, saw this, is the first time we see Keiko, who's his wife, uh, oh, played yeah. by the great Rosalind Chow, who's an actress I like a lot. Remember her from Joy Luck Club. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Oh, wait. Yeah. Look at her IMDb page. She's been in literally everything. She's been in every TV show between like 1980 and the present. Um, She's prolific. Tons and tons. She was on (laughs) one of her funniest credits was uh, it was something like, oh, shit, I'm not going to remember what it was. It was was like Return to Gilligan's Island or something from like 1985. So she was on like one of those old Gilligan's Island reunions for some reason. Um. But yeah, because uh, she was on Star Trek Next Generation with O'Brien. They were a couple. They had lots of storylines. They had a child, I think. Um, wow. And uh, she was, you know, she's a botanist. She's a scientist, which and she gave up that career totally to, uh, you know, come to the Deep Space Nine with O'Brien because he got a promotion for his career. So she had to kind of give up her career for the moment so that he could uh, have a, you know, an advancement in his own, his own career. And so she's, like, looking for something to do. She's feeling kind of out of place. I've got no purpose here. And he's like, well, you could plant some, uh, go plant something. Go put some potted plants in the promenade and make it a little nicer space. Like a woman should. Make it a little more homey, right? <laughs> no. Sorry. But that is there. Um, and then she's like, okay, not really. I'm not really that into that. Um, but then she does find purpose uh, later in the episode, partially because, you know, when she looked down and saw Cisco's boy, whose, whose name I don't really remember. Jake. Um that you know inspired her to think of her kid and like this isn't really a great place for kids so she decides to make the deep space nine in general a nicer place for kids by opening a school Mm. um which by the end of the episode you know is successful and she's got five or six pupils and she's got purpose and deep space nine is now a better place for the children uh it is a little bit of a a downgrade i think from you know renowned federation scientist to a school marm perhaps um (laughs) You're saying on Next but, Generation she had more of a role? I think so. I mean, I think she was always O'Brien's wife, but, you know, she's a scientist. She's a botanist. Yeah. I don't even remember um, her. <laughs> yeah. <one>. <laughs> um, anyway, I do like her, though. I think she's a good actress, and I like watching her. Um, and I like it when she's breaking O'Brien's balls, because you know what? Sometimes <laughs> he needs his balls broke, because, yeah. yeah, it's just the way it is. Um... So then uh, I got another, uh, I got, um, let's see, I guess uh, the next 
note I have is where it, it kind of mm-hmm. develops where the episode is about Odo's inflexibility, where he had a little tussle with a dude in the bar area because yes. because he um, is a convicted murderer and uh, mm-hmm. Odo didn't really want him around as <laughs> he was mm-hmm. re- released on arbitrary terms by the collapsed government which uh, mm-hmm. you know you would think that if a government collapse and the legal system collapses that they would revert to whatever was before like well there's laws in place against murder before so we'll have to apply those right. um and then, but uh, Cisco wants to hear none of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cisco pops in and breaks up the melee. Um, Odo like totally flew off the handle here, so he sees this handsome stranger, uh, who turns out to be yeah a smuggler and kind of a scoundrel, kind of a Han Solo-y kind of figure. Mm. Um, but I think he actually is a scoundrel. Um, yeah, and Odo goes over there and he's like, "Get off the ship! I want you gone now! You're scum!" And yeah. they get into a kind of like a shoving match, and they're about to start fist fighting when Cisco comes in and breaks it up. Um, but then after Cisco breaks it up, Odo says something which I thought was pretty funny. Um, can I go ahead and play that clip yeah. real quick? Because I actually have it pulled up. Yep, excellent. I don't want you on this station. Yeah, well, that's too bad because I have every right to be here. I decide who has rights and who doesn't on this promenade. You better ask your Federation superiors about that one. I don't have to check with anyone. <laughs> Oh, oh, 26 hours. Oh, that's nice. Well, I was only going to stay for 12, so thanks for the extra time. Um, <laughs> that's the part that made me laugh, because he was like, you need to get out of here now! And then Cisco breaks up the fight, and Odo's like, you have 26 hours to leave the station. It's like, well, that's that's a long time. Um, yeah. <laughs> he maybe was only going to stay there for 12 hours for a nice game of craps and a meal. Yeah, that's um, true. <laughs> yeah, he's like, not everyone so wants to live little... here. Yeah, that seemed like a little bit of a weird kind of uh, deadline for Odo. Also, 26 hours? Why 26 and not 24? Uh, that was not explained. Yeah. Um, that also kind of made me laugh. Anyway, Odo's a hothead, man. He is to- a total hothead. He wants to rule with an iron fist. I'm the law. I decide. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm not sure how I'm feeling about Odo at this point yeah. as a as a person. Um, um, but I enjoyed the the scuffle. It was a good bar fight scene. Yeah, I got uh, so. But then Cisco does not back him up. He says, "Well, I guess there's uh, nothing we can do. You can't just you can't just stop him for no reason." It's like, did I mention he's a murderer? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. I guess that's that's cool with you. It's cool with me. Um, yeah. The next thing I have here is a question: uh, Is is the doctor is Bashir Italian or like Mediterranean or something? Because of the way how mm. flirtatious he is, but he has this uh, British accent. Okay. Um, well, well, what does his, his flirt- flirtatiousness have to do with his possible Mediterranean or Italianness? Oh, come on. <laughs> 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 well, he's got um, like. A, I be- it's it's funny for me because he's got this British accent, but um, yeah. I've never met uh, I've met a good number of British people. <laughs> I've never seen mm-hmm. them like act that way, or I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, 
but and yeah. also I guess he has darker skin, so it, mm-hmm. it's kind of a, mm-hmm. it's a, I don't know. He seems very uh, flirtatious. That is the uh, he's Ita- very Italian flirtatious. Style. Right, right. I don't believe he's Italian though. I think he's Middle Eastern. I think that was part of like some of the pro- progressive Star Trek casting was to cast this uh, actor of Middle Eastern descent because Bashir, I'm pretty sure, is a name that has Middle Eastern origins. Oh, yeah, so that makes sense. he might sense. be possibly Pakistani from Britain, you know, possibly. Uh, ha, 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 um, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, yeah, um, which I like it. It's good progressive Star Trek casting to, uh, yeah, give him a leading role and not make a thing of it. Um, and he's very cute and very flirty and kind of bouncy. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, Mediterranean-ish, it's all sort of in the same ballpark, really. Right. Like, you know, Italy's basically the Middle East, isn't it? Maybe not. <laughs> it's funny, because it reminds me of, um, uh, in the when he's trying to talk to Dax, it reminds me of um, when uh, when I was in college, I had a big crush on this on this Mormon girl. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she was she had she was like that she just like just like easy smiles and like oh mm-hmm. you silly <laughs> just you have like nothing would have any effect on on her right because uh yeah I'm not, no you got to be mormon so it's just yeah game, well there was no danger game, there was no over. danger that she would uh that she would relent and sort of you know sin and get together with you because it was just not in the cards yeah kind of the mormonness possibly um, let's see. So I've got um, another note that a new side supporting act, like guest actor, I guess, comes in. Who? It's so mm-hmm. funny how sometimes uh, was there one in the last one? Like sometimes, like a guest actor will just will to me like steal the scene. <laughs> like just seems mm-hmm. like a a higher caliber. Oh, I know. It's because of the Garrick or the Cardassians who are just right. Will steal the. <laughs> will just be seem like a higher caliber than this than the than the full-time actors mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah so garrick like, kind of felt like that for sure in the last episode yeah he had uh he was a very confident actor had a lot of sort of like flamboyance and flourishes uh he was fun to watch for sure um there was somebody kind of like that on this episode you're thinking yeah the guy who's uh he's got that chin <laughs> he's got that yes. like uh i don't know like hollywood chin and yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. He was like the main sort of rabble rouser in the riot, like get the shifter, get the shifter guy. Yes, right? he like yeah, speaks he scary. softly and smiles evilly. He does, and he's got a terrible mouth, just a terrifying, creepy mouth. He's a handsome guy, but it's just the way his mouth is shaped and moved. Yeah, um, was kind of scary to me. But he was supposed to be a scary character, so it was working, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was like the ringleader when they were doing the riot. When they when the mob wanted to find Odo and rip him to pieces, he was kind of the ringleader. Like, get him! He was the guy with the pitchfork and the torch, you know. Right. Oh, and he had that horrible line. He said, "Right." He said, "Yeah." When Cisco's like, "You can't go in there," and you know, what are you planning to do once you get once you get your hands on him? And this guy who you're talking about, I don't know the character or the actor's name. He says, "Yeah, I guess you're right." Plus, he's a shapeshifter, so he would like slip right through the rope. Oh, to hang him, which was yeah. really intense. Which, yeah, um, <laughs> which does they sh- that should have been kind of a Monty Python. They all looked at each other like, yeah, what are we doing here? Like, what, right. what, <laughs> what would we do if we got him? Like the, uh, <laughs> like, you know, do which do witches burn or whatever? Why do witches burn? Mm-hmm. And they're like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I was happy to see Cisco sort of, uh, you know, diffuse the the mob there. It was interesting because uh, one of Cisco's lines was like, "You can't like, you know, attack and want to murder this man just because he's different." Yeah, which was, you know, definitely a metaphor for you know lynch mobs of the United States, you know, a hundred years ago and for many years. Oh, uh, I thought it was cool coming from a you know an African American uh, Starfleet commander. You know what? Speaking um, of that, um, again, going back to my wire comment, I forgot to mm-hmm. put the punchline that I didn't think of that myself, but I actually stole that oh. from another Deep Space Nine podcast. Oh, no. You're poaching. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to start a war. I'm not ready to go to war yet. We are brand new. <laughs> but another thing I stole, I'm going to steal now, is that they noticed that uh, Cisco is, you know, he's African-American and all his subordinates mm-hmm. are, are white people. Which I didn't even, you know, realize that uh, not only is he the first uh, black lead leading mm-hmm. man, but also everybody else is white, like on like uh, right uh, under his command. Right. Um, well, there are so few people under his command, though. Really. Um, yeah. Like we were saying the other day, that's you know, is there anybody besides besides O'Brien who's actually like a Federation officer under his command? Uh, in the episode, this episode actually saw a few Federation sort of uniforms in the background, like extras. Mm. Um, so I was like, okay, so there's a little bit more of a Federation presence here than I thought there was before. Um, uh, but yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. So now I have our um, next uh, clip, which is again another Keiko scene, and I might okay. have to stop it. Uh, it's kind of long one, so I might stop it as we go. But here we go. You know, I've never actually been a teacher commander, but it's something I've always thought about doing. As a Starfleet commander and a father, I think it's a terrific idea. What do you need? Now, I probably should have set it up, but this is where Keiko uh, gets into Cisco's what seems to be his home quarters to then sales pitch being the teacher Mm -hmm. of the school. And uh, I'm not uh, an interview or occupational specialist, but probably in an interview you don't want to say, I have zero experience in this thing. (laughs) (laughs) But but I have thought about it, (laughs) thought about trying to do it. (laughs) And also, shockingly, Cisco's response is, is, uh, let's see. As a Starfleet commander and a father, I think it's a terrific idea. What do you need? He says, hey, good idea. <laughs> Sounds good to me. And um, I know. Oh, yeah? <laughs> what do you think about uh, it? Yeah, very good. Very good. Uh, you know, somehow, you know, he was totally on board. Um, she's like, I've got no experience, but what do you think? He says, I think it's a great idea. What do you need? Uh, he, like, he doesn't even say you're hired. It's just like, what do you need? I got a budget for you. Buy the desks. Buy them now. Buy the yeah. space desks. He goes on to say. Uh, some space? We'll find it. Computers? You'll have them. Well, there you go. The deal All is right. done. And done I, deal. I thought of two ways to uh, read the backstory of uh, this scene. And uh, number one was since we know that um, Cisco seems like, you know, he might be in the back of his mind, he might be thinking like, well, you know, new hot DAX might not work out for me. Maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll, uh, <laughs> get friendly with my (laughs) with my chief engineer's wife (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. maybe Maybe before it's like oh yeah your husband doesn't really want to hear what your what what your problem is yeah oh i'll give you whatever you want yeah you want to be a teacher (laughs) (laughs) that's number one that's one scenario that's one scenario (laughs) 
<laughs> now number two. Number two is maybe before this, Cisco opens his email and he sees emails from Keiko and he's like says, you know, he says to O'Brien, who I guess is his actual staff member, he's like, Why is your wife emailing me about <laughs> about this? <laughs> and again, and again, O'Brien again, this is not me. I'm not saying this. This is O'Brien's mindset. He says, dude, mm-hmm. just say yes to whatever she just wants. Just please give her something to do. <laughs> you got to get this woman off my back. She's yeah. just cranky all the time. Give her something. And he's like, well, wh- you know, what do I say to her? And he's like, just say yes to everything she wants. That's what I do. Like, just, <laughs> just do that. And so then that's why Keiko has this shocked expression. Like uh, She was shocked, yeah. She's like, well, what do you need? Uh, you, uh, a room? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh computers probably sure <laughs> and then <laughs> it is done yeah so uh i thought i thought that was such a funny uh <laughs> funny thing the, the more yeah. i try to de- you know explore into what are these characters doing Mm-hmm. yeah and also why is um cisco's son in the meeting it's a little confusing to me <laughs> like she's having a job interview with her boss a p- yeah. potential boss, and uh, you know, he's like, "My son's going to come along." Um, yeah, and sit here without talking. I don't think this kid has a line in this whole episode. I guess he oh. did in the last episode, though. No, she says some. He says some stuff before this clip started about she because she oh, says, okay. "Don't you not want to be on the computer all day?" Don't you? That's know? right. Like, that's right. Uh, now, remember. further past this scene, I could imagine like a Seinfeld style thing where, like, uh, how was your meeting with um, Cisco? I went by the promenade. You, I didn't see you guys. He's like, "Oh, it was in. It was at his. Uh, it was at his house." <laughs> Brian's like, "You went to his house? Like, yeah, it was cool." <laughs> and like, <laughs> so uh, yeah, <laughs> I thought that was a funny one. <laughs> but it's, oh, also um, another funny thing. After this scene, Cisco says he's he's angry at his son because he did some like mischief or he did some he pranked some people with mm-hmm. these like space bugs yes that was like a, less of a prank and more of like a crime that was crazy <laughs> they put these space bugs underneath this nice couple's chair in like this fancy restaurant i guess it was a fancy restaurant on the ds9 one that the walls aren't dripping with oil and goo and doesn't have rats crawling across the floor yeah yeah um but yeah they put this uh, him and the ferengi boy who are good friends but both of their respective parents are like stay away from that human stay away from that ferengi um Again, dealing with race relations, um, sensitively, uh-huh. sortively, yep. sort of. Um, anyway, they put these space bugs underneath them that make these people like just go mad with itchiness, like they're going to tear their flesh off, and then their skin turns these, you know, vibrant, you know, bright different colors, green and blue and purple, before it just suddenly goes away, and they're like, "Oh, well, that was weird." Yeah. But uh, t- for a second there, it was like you know a harmless childhood prank gone wrong, and it was like, "No, these people, these people are going to be killed." These children are going to be tried for murder. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, they got busted for doing that little prank. Uh, rightfully so. And I hope that they are good friends and that they have a good relationship, but they do not need to be terrorizing people in restaurants. What's funny about that scene with the itchiness is that the couple, the they're itchy, then the color happens, then it just stops. And then the woman, mm-hmm. of the itchy woman, looks looks around like awkwardly like, ha, 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 ha. I don't know what's going on here. Did you did you see that? That they were just like, they looked around, right. stretching, like, oh, that was weird. But uh, that was no, they totally just they shrug it off like it was like, oh, that happens all the time. Yeah. Um, 
that was nostalgic that was for me because when I was in high school in drama class and you had to do like a skit or something, that was always my way to bail out of a scene to just to, <laughs> to like look to look around awkwardly at my friends in the room right. in the room like what do we t- and get them to laugh so I could be like oh they were laughing oh it was a good one. <laughs> So hey. you could have played this part, this part that this woman played in, in Deep Space Nine. Yeah, that's my specialty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Um, I've got a thing I could pull up real quick. This is a little yes. later in the episode, and it'll help with plot a little bit. So yeah, as uh, I, I don't know if we've mentioned that that uh, handsome smuggler that we were talking about had been in a fight with Odo earlier, uh, got murdered halfway through the episode while he oh, was yeah, on the holodeck right. <laughs> getting a massage from a hollow lady who had webbed fingers, which were very, very scary. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then a stranger comes in with a knife and stabs him in the back, and he dies. Mm. Uh, and everybody thinks that Odo did it, which is why there was that mob that wanted to lynch him on the promenade and the scene with Cisco and the hanging and all that stuff. Um, so shortly after that, they, they discover that, um, uh, you know, there, were no, there was no one else's DNA inside that hollow deck, and it only could have been Odo. Uh, and he's having a, ch- a conversation with Kira, who finally has something to do in this episode because she's taken over the investigation since Odo, you know, is implicated as a possible suspect. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, well, do you have an alibi? And then he says something that I thought was kind of funny. Anyway, I'll play this scene real quick. It's short. Major, I have to return to my natural state every 18 hours to regenerate. To be quite honest about it, I was in a pail in the back of my office when Ibudan was killed. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> is it, I, no, funny. am I hearing it wrong? He says I was in a pail in the back of my office. Like, yeah, I'm picturing like a little bucket, like a like a kid uses to like scoop sand at the beach. A pail. <laughs> yeah, that's right? what he said. Yeah, he's. I was a bucket of goo in my office at the time that Ibadan was murdered. Yep, that's interesting. Yeah, a special bucket. How does he get himself into the bucket? I guess he sits on the bucket and then liquefies and just falls into the bucket. Um, or he could turn know. into a snake and then crawl into the bucket and then liquefy like that. I feel like that um, also was. I had that like noted down too. I thought that was also a potential like I was actually in a bucket in my office. Parentheses la- laughter and then next line like I thought <laughs> I thought that would be a comedic smi- at least a little smile laugh. But because again right. we're just like did he just say bucket? <laughs> like it just goes on <laughs> that it just doesn't doesn't land. Uh, yet again, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. No, it was an odd moment for sure. It like should have been funny. I mean, it was funny to me because I was I paused it and I was like, wait, did he say pale or yeah. some <laughs> scientific word that sounds like pale? Yeah. Uh, and I even put the subtitles on to like read it to, to make sure it was like the correct oh, spelling of like no. a water pail. And it is. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, I was in a bucket in the back of my office. That's my only alibi. Oh. Um, man. That's weird that he doesn't. I guess you just he just is a puddly liquidy goo and he regenerates naturally he doesn't need to like go underneath any kind of regeneration light like seven of nine from voyager or anything yeah i guess maybe that's why he's pissed off all the time he's having to concentrate to hold himself together right in this form but then he can relax yeah. in his like blob form yeah um did you notice yes. that his face looks different in this one his uh, face looks different not really because this is they had changed the makeup for the second episode like we said last week but um, they moved the second episode into the third position, so he's got pilot makeup here, whereas the oh. makeup in the episode we had previously watched was like the new makeup, which they keep through the rest of the series. Oh. It's just more puffy about the face, more puffy and more alien-like. 
Yeah, maybe I did. Maybe something. Hmm. Um, so to drive this thing home, let's see. I got a clip here where, uh, you know, Odo is off the case because, mm -hmm. hey, the evidence is stacking against you, man. And we got to, we got to, you know, this doesn't look good. <laughs> so Cisco <laughs> pulls him off, pulls him off the case and then says this little exchange in the office. Okay. Will that be all, Commander? I want you to know. I don't personally believe that you're responsible for this. Really? Now, how can that be true? You don't know me. You have no reason to believe I wouldn't kill Ibudan if it suited my fancy. So don't tell me there isn't some doubt inside of you, some question about whether or not I murdered the man. I simply feel that putting Kira and Dax in charge of the investigation will be in everyone's best interest. Yeah. <laughs> so so he gets Odo this strengthens my case of how Odo was dumped here cuz nobody likes him cuz he's just hostile towards Cisco who says, "Hey man, I don't think you're a murderer." And he's like, "Well, what the fuck do you know?" <laughs> <laughs> I know. Cisco should be like, "Uh, I think that's the default setting of when you meet anybody. It's that you're probably not a murderer." <laughs> Yeah, and I'm gonna yes, go with that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and like, uh, yeah. And so when he goes, and I, this isn't first time we're meeting. I've worked with you. I have 100 percent of the time not seen you murder anybody. So there's more <laughs> evidence that you're not a murderer than you could be a murderer. I yeah. mean, am I wrong? <laughs> no, you're totally right. You're totally right. Odo is just not seeing through his own uh, emotional hotness here. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I'm into him. You know, before I watched this show, I was familiar with the character and what he looks like. And I always just assumed because I, I guess because I think the actor is a nice guy that, uh, the character of Odo was like this sort of wise and bene benevolent sort of nice character. And he's, he's super not, he's a total dick. Uh, he attacks everyone around him. Uh, he's a bad officer who doesn't want to adhere to any sort of rule structure, but just, like, go with his gut and fly off the handle and punish whomever he sees fit at whatever time. Um, yeah, and his logic there is ridiculous. It's like, you think I'm innocent? What would give you that idea? You've yeah. never even met me. It's like, I'd well, like... I generally assume that most people I meet are not murderers. Yes, that was a great yeah. way to put it, Joe. <laughs> I would, uh, I would, let's, uh, I, hey, oh, get back in here. Get back in the office. Hey, so you're saying if we met here first time, Hey, nice to meet you. So, uh, how many people you killed? <laughs> that would be that would be a more normal <laughs> like thing to say. And Oda would say, "Like I have not killed anyone. Thank you for not assuming anything about me." <laughs> uh, uh, I'm also feeling like Odo has killed people, and uh, you know, I know he's not a villain because he's on the show for the whole run of it. I think, but. He's dark. He's got you know, a darkness. The know? thing is, he probably could murder everybody on the station. <laughs> like, he yeah. can grab something and just stab people, and they would try to stop him, and he, they, he'd, he'd go blob form. He'd be unstoppable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why everybody's afraid of him. That's why there's so much, you know, prejudice against him on the, on the space station. It's fear. Right. It's fear. Fear of the mob, or the mob's fear of the other. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Um... So then I have an, another, uh, or do you have a clip or anything? 
No, I've got no, no more clips here on my list. All right. But, uh, happy to keep so, chatting about it. We should definitely uh, re- recap the uh, resolution of the story for our listeners the, at some point. Oh. So, but go on. Go on. We're not there yet. The, uh, then there's a kind of scene I liked where they got some, now we got some good old fashioned ball busting from Quark to Odo, <laughs> where right. Odo's room is all screwed up. Quark shows up, starts off with, well, looks like you're pretty much screwed. <laughs> which <laughs> I know. <laughs> which Odo does take, ha ha, looks like I am. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is actually some, I don't know. <laughs> this is unusual. And, um, but in the end, uh, I think Quark helps him. He gives him some information. Which yeah, I think, I think was so. key to solving the mystery. Um, in the end, right. when right. they solve yes. the thing, but I thought that I was so. I thought that was funny. It was funny because it's like he, yeah, Odo walks into his uh, his office. I think it was. And it's it's torn up. There's you know slurs written on the walls, shifters written on the walls, um, and then yeah, Quark just appears in the doorway. And it's like wow, look at this. Um, he kind of came out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I was happy that he had a friendly moment ish and um that he was able to help him out a little bit. Yeah. Um I got I have yet I have maybe my best clip of all. I'm surprised you didn't uh I'm okay. I think you you're gonna remember it, but this is maybe the best one. Okay. Um and uh it's a it's about the show switches back to the potential rivalry for Dax between Cisco and right. uh, Bashir mm-hmm. and they end up having lunch together and Cisco switches gears in uh, casual conversation to to this one about his memories of his old friend Curzon. Right. Mm-hmm. If I were to tell you some of the mischief he and I used to get into there was a time I was no older than you are. We were attending the running of the Regine steeplechase. Dax loves the races. Anyway, there were these gorgeous seven-foot Ruji twin sisters that Curzon knew, and he and I... Whoa. Whoa. I guess we won't be doing that again soon. Right. <laughs> so what? Yeah, no, I do remember that. I do remember oh that. These gorgeous seven-foot-tall, some species, twin sisters I... that he and Dax... Oh, I, I tried to hold it in, because... but I, I, I started laughing during... I'll have to cut that out. But uh, we're on a we're on a business lunch with my yet again with a subordinate of my company. Yeah. And hey, yeah. uh, I was probably your age, and uh, me and my friggin' friend, or we were with these seven foot tall twins, <laughs> and, uh, and we play. Uh. <laughs> well, basically, uh, I won't be doing that again. <laughs> so, and hey, hey, again, this is not. I'm not, I'm saying you know in in the yeah. in the parlance of our time that this might be a kink shaming or whatever but uh, it is you kink know, shaming but a four way twin seven foot twin f- foursome with your old <laughs> your old f- friend and father figure on a yes. business lunch with your subordinate doesn't seem like the most <laughs> uh, best practices for yeah. a uh, rising uh, commander. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I agree. Also, if like, if Cisco's all good with having yeah an incestuous four-way with his father figure and a pair of siblings, <laughs> oh but he wouldn't God. be okay with it now that she's a female. Um, that that 
is confusing to me. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> like, why oh, wouldn't you be doing that anymore? Yeah. Also, Dax, I guess, was a... Yeah, Dax, Dax, Dax uh, had a bit of an appetite, I guess, as that little old man that he was before. Um, yeah. Interesting. Now, yes. you could say, you could argue, like, yeah, but they, we didn't say what they, you know, maybe they just, like, had ice cream or something. But no, I think it's pretty no. widely accepted, especially in this uh, era of TV, that anything twins, like, what's fetishization of uh, twins, yes. it's uh, implied that uh, yeah. some, uh, you know, some gnarly... Twins! <laughs> yeah gnarly experiences happen there so i thought that was yeah. another like no. unbelievable scene that nobody on set would say would really a captain be saying this to his doctor <laughs> or, or <laughs> like it's just i don't know just funny it is funny and it's yeah it, it makes me laugh yeah you're, you're right that there was especially in the 90s this whole obsession with twins like every beer commercial had like a pair of like scantily clad twins, um, and the man in the commercial would be like, "Oh my God, twins!" And it's like the whole idea was that you would have sex with both of them at the same time. And yeah, to these men of the era, it was like nothing could be harder than having an incestuous three-way with a pair of siblings, um, <laughs> which is the reality of the implication. I'm sorry to say, uh, of the obsession with twins, the sexual obsession with twins. Um. We'll take a, uh, I got a hard pivot to a final clip. Okay. This this video made me laugh out loud. My girlfriend my girlfriend had to be like, what in the hell is so funny? But when I watched this, I, I just burst out laughing. Here. Actually, wait, this is when Keiko's school is opening and uh, mm-hmm. O'Brien and their, their daughter come to visit. Here's mommy. Where you been, mommy? <laughs> no, that seems, <laughs> I don't know why, but that seems so funny. Like the kid is like it two is years funny. old. And she's, where you been, mommy? <laughs> but that made me laugh, too. Her voice is so tiny and cute. <laughs> yeah. Like, I can't... A kid would say, like, mommy, or, like... Or not, hey, mom, where have you been the past couple weeks? You know, like, it's, it's kind of a complicated thing right. she says. Right. Where you been, ready mommy? ready for school tomorrow, honey? Can I come to school? Oh, I wish you could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I feel like this kid was like heavily coached on like your line is where you been, mommy. Right. Say it, say it now. Right. Okay, and right. action. Where so. you been, mommy? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You just let the camera roll with feet of the lines, and she barks them out. Yeah, um, but she does a good job. She does a good job. Yeah. Um. So that's all my notes. And uh, regarding the uh, clone murder and how they solve it, I right. don't. I don't know what happened. I don't understand was... what the doctor was doing. Right. <laughs> so if you have that, that would be great. Well, I could just sort of synopsize a little bit. Uh, but yeah, it's not all perfectly clear in my head. So yeah, <laughs> the Odo was not the murderer who snuck into the holodeck massage parlor and stabbed Han Solo while he was being massaged by the web-fingered lady. Uh, it turns out that the person who stabbed the you know evil Han Solo was the real evil Han Solo. And the one who got stabbed was a clone of this smuggler. Right. So the smuggler guy who had a bone to pick with Odo or who had, you know, some vengeance to seek against Odo cloned himself, made a perfectly good sentient clone of himself and had him, had his clone go to the deep space nine and get a massage only so that he could then follow his clone into the holodeck massage parlor and stab him himself, murder his clone 
just to set up Odo uh, to try and get Odo in trouble because he hates him. Uh, and Odo wronged him in the past, I think. Um, so that was figured out, and the guy was, you know, you know, shown justice at the end of the episode. Um, definitely seems like a long road to travel for, you know, <laughs> revenge. And there might be some simpler ways to, you know, take revenge on somebody like, say, kill him, rather than, like, cloning yourself and raising a, a fully functional clone of yourself only to murder him to set up somebody else for that murder. Um, well, what was up with the... A, a big clue was like, hey, um, he came with he came and stayed in a room with two beds. Why the two beds? Right. And so then I was like, wait, was the his original version and the clone were roommates? And the clone's like, yeah, yeah, then you kill me and then I die. And then you get your revenge. <laughs> like, why? <laughs> what? Were they in on it together? <laughs> but no, your right. version makes more sense with the... Uh, he lets he makes a clone, lets him go, sends him to Desaisen, and then follows him. Your version makes more sense, but then the, yeah. the two beds thing was like, well, they were in on it together, and then the ha- the handsome guest guy was also in on it because he turns into a, uh, you know, demonstrator like quickly against Odo too. Right, right, yeah. I know it seemed like he was in on it because he was such the you know rallying, uh, you know, figure against Odo. But I don't think he was. I don't think he was. And I think that it was meant to seem like, you know, the clone was not complicit in his own murder. Like, uh, you know, they were definitely there together voluntarily, but that the clone didn't know that his uh, dad brother, whatever you want to call him, would would be killing him. Um, And there's also a third one now, too, because they accidentally made another clone just to figure out what this, you know, organic material was. And they said, well, what's going to happen to that one? And they said, well, in two weeks, he'll be a fully functioning humanoid and he'll be the next resident on uh, Deep Space Nine. Um, so that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, they're cloning people just, you know, very willy-nilly, um, as though it's not a crazy thing to do. I guess it's not that crazy of a thing to do. It's just like getting pregnant, I guess. Um, so should... Um, sh- should uh... I didn't. I didn't know how. So the doctor found a piece of clonage on the ground and then grew his own. <laughs> Let's just make a whole other clone. Um, yes, I think that's exactly what happened. <laughs> and, and then is Odo now going to have to be like, okay, clone, um, you're still that other guy. So I st- does he then should Odo then apologize to the clone who he said, get you get out of here. He's like, what? I didn't do anything. I was just born like two weeks ago. <laughs> what would be Odo's dilemma then? What would he? What would he do? Right. Then? Well, Odo's probably going to have some weird feelings about this third clone when he sees him strolling around the promenade, because it's his nemesis. Hopefully, Odo won't like you know see him from across the bar and run over there and start shouting at him and yanking him around so that Cisco has to break him up. But maybe he will. Yeah. Um, I wonder if we're going to see him again, the actor as this third clone. Probably not. Yeah. Um, because he wasn't, he actually wasn't that handsome. I call him the handsome smuggler, but he wasn't that cute. No, the other guy, um, the chin guy with the, the chin, chin guy, the rabble rouser. I feel like we might see him again. He's so intense. I want to look yeah. him up. His, his face <laughs> is so intense. Uh, and his mouth makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but he was good. He was an effective actor. Well, what did we learn in this one? Uh, if you're uh, going to murder your own clone, don't uh, make sure to clean up all the clone evidence, I guess. 
<laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, and we also decided that... Um, that Star Trek was racist, and so was The Wire, and so was Humanity in America. But if you try and overcome that inherent racism, then that makes you a good show or television person or society. You know what else is weird is that final thing mm. is that on the when Keiko O'Brien gets her school, the students come in, and there's just something inherently bizarre slash uncomfortable when Star Trek puts little kids in these like one-piece like u- unit <laughs> unitards and it's just like a strange like uh this feels not like i should be looking at this <laughs> what do you mean it's just because a they're weird su- they're too for- they're too form like, fitting you mean maybe yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that could be it like it's just just odd like uh um, yeah I mean, it looks weird on a Odo, like a full-grown man wearing like a like a, a pa- like a pajama outfit. But then, like little mm-hmm. kids, it's like, no, this feels not not right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would be more appropriate on a kid because it's more like a pajamas. You know, it's more like a pajama onesie. Um, yeah, I'm onesie. Not, I'm not crazy about the onesies. I think that Deep Space Nine was the first time they introduced the onesie Star Trek uniform. Um, because that was the standard for a long time. And uh, on Voyager, I think there was all onesies. Um, right. You know, in Star Trek Next Generation, there were two pieces, pants and a top, and that's why it necessitated Picard to do this famous sort of like top gankage downage. He would yeah. straighten his shirt every time he stood up in a very signature kind of way. Right. Um, and so these uniforms on Deep Space Nine look like those ones with the similar two-tone thing above the shoulders on the tops and the black pants. But they are definitely all one piece of fabric. All one. It's it's a onesie with like a little fabric waist or a elastic waistband, which I'm not in favor of. I'm, I'm I like the two pieces, and I don't think visible elastic is ever a good idea. Right. Um, but yeah, and they they look like they're really hard to get in and out of because um, you need somebody to zip you up. But maybe they just beam themselves into it uh, <laughs> and out of it at the end of, at the beginning of the end of the day. Yeah, that'd be good. Mm-hmm. Well, on oh, that one, note, I'm sorry. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I'm no, sorry. Go ahead. I'm not going to let you end this just yet because something else occurred to me when I yep. said beam yourself into your onesie. I was reminded of a thing when they go and they inspect the clone, handsome Han Solo smuggler guys, uh, you know, quarters after he was killed. The camera pans around the room really quickly, and it pans past this red chair in an alcove, this weird little red red chair in an alcove. And I was like, oh. What was that? Was that a toilet? Because you famously never see a toilet in Star <laughs> Trek, or there's no reference to how all that works. Yep. Um, so I paused it when it's you know spinning past it. It was a little fuzzy, but it's definitely just like a red, a funny looking red chair in an alcove. Um, but there's no hole in it. Um, but I think it might be a toilet type thing. <laughs> you thought you saw a toilet. Um, uh. And maybe that answers the question that no, there are no toilets. Like maybe they do just beam the you know waste matter out of their bodies. <laughs> um, but maybe they have to do it on the special chair in an alcove is where they have the the uh, pee-pee and poo-poo beamed out of their bodies. Yeah. Anyway, if they do transport, that was something I noticed. If they do transport the shit out of every single <laughs> every single fetter, I could see O'Brien having to do that. <laughs> and, yeah. Right. That would be O'Brien's job. You're right. He's the teleporter guy. Um, anyway, yeah, if you I see saw the that toilet. See the toilet, call in, email in, let us know. Yeah, <laughs> no, let us yeah, know let what us you know. think. The fuzzy uh, red toilet. 
more questions and more hot topics, hot button issues and uh, questions and videos on the next episode. Um, of so, DS9 time. Yeah, we will see you there. We are out. Thank you very much. Do you realize how incredible this is? Welcome to DS9. It's a podcast. <laughs> oh.